0: Uh, I'd like for you to uh, turn to Psalm 119 if you don't mind. Psalm 119. I hope you've had a good day. A good day of uh, worship. Maybe of relaxation. Maybe some time with friends and family. Some of you drove back from Nashville a little while ago, and you probably are sort of tired, I'm guessing. I appreciate all that so many of you did to make it a successful weekend in Nashville for our young people, for the lives of leaders, and all the stuff that went into that, parents and other adults, maybe some of you who don't have any kids in the program yet, but yet you uh, spend your time helping those in our church who do, and so we appreciate all of that. Hope, uh certainly hope that God will use what we learned over the weekend to Be a blessing to the church and to our community, and bring honor to His name. There's going to be just after service tonight, and need a little bit of help. If some of us can go downstairs right after the service is over, they need some help unloading the trailer from Liza Leaders. So if you can go downstairs, they'll have the trailer. Maybe it already is, but backed up down to one of those exterior doors, and it won't take very long to unload that. So if you could remember to do that right after the service. I know it would be appreciated, greatly appreciated. It it will go pretty quickly if we have folks who show up to do that. Psalm 119, you may remember if you have been here the last few weeks that we looked at this psalm. uh, It was a few weeks ago on a Sunday night, two or three weeks ago. Psalm 119 is that one that has 176 verses, right? We looked at... One of the stanzas in it. It has twenty-two stanzas, each being eight verses long and corresponding to the twenty-two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you remember this, you know, Hebrew has twenty-two letters and starting with Aleph and, and going all the way down. And so this is an extended um, acronym where you've got, you know, Aleph, the first eight verses begin with that letter. The first word in each verse begins with that letter, and then Bet, and so on all the way to the end. That's the way it's organized. And as I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, 171 out of 176 verses mention the law or the word or the statute, so some, in some way mention the word of God. And it's fascinating to just read that psalm. It's a long one. And we looked at one of the stanzas. I want to look at one other stanza. We'll, we'll move on. Um, there, there are people, I, w- I was reading some this week about this, and some preachers have done a series of sermons through Psalm 119, going through all 176 verses. I'm not going to torture you like that by going through that many verses, but I do think there's so much in the psalm by, by just spending a little bit of time emphasizing what he emphasizes, and, and, and you really could spend a lot of time on it. it, and it would be a blessing to us to do that, I think. But what I want to do is I want to look at a different stanza, and we're going to look at the one that is closer to the end. It starts in verse 105. This is noon. This is the letter noon, N-U-N, and it is... So, so, so all eight of these verses in this stanza start with that letter, that what we'd call the letter N. There's, there's something that jumps out at you when when you read 176 verses of the psalm, and um, and the thing that you're going to be impacted by, I think, is that he cares about the law, he cares about the word of God a lot, and somebody put put this out there for you to think about. I, I, I think. This is like a lot of things. You can kind of get off base on things. You can, you can emphasize the Bible to the exclusion of Christ, for example. Um, I mean, we can, we can become so obsessed with the written word that we don't really know the living word. And, and maybe you've seen that happen sometimes. It's all about the Bible. It's all about the word of God to the exclusion of the one who inspired it, to the, to the exclusion of the one we get to know through the word. You know what I mean by that? That... It's, um, it's like Bible worship, almost, where we worship the Bible as the fourth person of the Godhead, you know, Father, Son, Spirit, and Bible. It's, it's that kind of thing. So sometimes churches can get off base there and miss seeing Jesus Christ while emphasizing the Word. And then sometimes there's, there's an, a tendency, I think, to, to do it the other way, and that is it's, it's all about maybe a relationship, and it's kind of fuzzy, you know, it's, it's all about a feeling maybe, and I just want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But there's kind of a de-emphasis on the word. And so I want to emphasize the living word, but not the written word. And you, you see how we could get off base with either one of those, right? Where if we, the only way we know the living word is, well, not the only way, but God's, God's spirit inspired the word so that we might know the living word. I, I, I mention this because I want you to recognize that what the psalmist is doing here is he's saying to you and me, he's saying, you got to take the Bible seriously. I mean, you got to take it seriously. So we're going to spend our time talking about these eight verses tonight, consistent with what this whole psalm is talking about. I think, and that is just an just an admonition to the church on this Sunday night for you and me to think again about our relationship to the to the Word. We're not talking about using it to displace Jesus. We're not talking about the Word. Separated from the spirit who inspired it, or we're not talking about the Bible as opposed to or making a choice of choosing the Bible over the Word of God the living Word, but rather knowing the living Word through the written word, so I want to kind of nuance it like that so let me just a couple of practical things that flow out of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and what i 'm talking about a couple of weeks ago is that emphasis on on, on memorization on meditation of taking the word and chewing on it and and taking some verses and memorizing them and letting them really permeate your heart. It'll change the way that you live. And so flowing out of that, a couple of things. What is, just answer this to yourself, maybe some self-examination. But what is your relationship to the Word like? What is your relationship right now? Not, not what it was a few weeks back, a few months back, a few years back. Not what it's going to be after life slows down a little bit. You know, you get a little bit less stressed out and you've you got more time to do it and all that. Because we all have a time in the past maybe where we did a little bit better. We've we've probably all got this ambiguous time in the future where I'm going to do a little bit better about the Word. I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more, study more. But really, what's your relationship with the Word of God like over the past seven days? I don't say that to try to get you to feel guilty. Only that so you might listen a little bit more attentively to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. God's Spirit works through His Word. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, Paul says in Ephesians 6. And that's, it's just so very true that my life, your life, our spiritual lives are going to flow out of, are going, to be, are going to be tied very closely to our attention to the Bible. And so when we aren't living as we ought, when we're not feeling this relationship as we should, then my experience has been it's almost always there almost always is a connection to the attention that I've been giving or not been giving to the Word. It's almost, it's almost always like that. And in my dealing with people who are struggling spiritually, it's almost always the case as well. There's, there's some sort of breakdown in, in reading and meditating on and praying over and studying the Word of God. Then that inevitably flows into a, a broken relationship with God. So this is important stuff, what we're talking about. Let's read it. Let's read this stanza. Just follow along if you would. Psalm 119, I'm going to read all eight verses, verses 105 to 112, to 112. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Psalm 119, 105 to 112. What I think you'll notice from this stanza and out from that to the whole psalm is that the word for the psalmist has a centrality to everything. And in the, the, the psalm itself, you'll notice that, but but narrowing our focus down to these eight verses, you're going to notice that also in a, in a smaller kind of way. And I want to walk through it with you to show you what he says about the word. We'll do this fairly quickly and then reflect on it for a couple minutes as far as how it ought to affect, affect us. But look what he says. Basically what he says in these eight verses is this, the word of God it affects every part of my life, every part of my life. There's, there's no corner of my life that is left out of the scope of the Word's influence. So it's not like I can say, well, you know what, the Word of God is important to me in my family life or in my church life, what I believe doctrinally, this, these things that, that I claim to believe as far as my Christian convictions are concerned. It's important there. What the psalmist seems to be saying is, that the Word of God changes everything. It goes into every corner of your life from your work to your play to your family to your struggles to your triumphs to everything. And it, doesn't, it doesn't mention all those here, but in the greater psalm he does. So it's, it's centrality to all of life. So look, for example, verse the first verse. In some ways, this verse serves as, as a heading to the rest of the, the stanza when he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It helps me to know what to do. It helps me to know where to go. It helps me to make the right choices. He, he couples that, and in some ways I think these two verses go together because he says in verse 106, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. So I want to talk to you about those two verses for, for a minute together. So basically he says, you know, the word teaches me where I need to go, how, how I need to live. And then he says, I've confirmed this with an oath. I've sworn an oath. And, um, and I've confirmed it. I'm going to keep the rules. I'm going to do what you say. That sounds almost like legalism, doesn't it? I mean, it, sounds, it sounds kind of bad. We don't like to talk about rules, keeping rules. I don't think he would have viewed that at all as legalism. I think he's just talking about obedience to the law, which God has always wanted us to be, uh, be attentive to. So here's something I want you to think about for a minute, if you would. The Word is going to help us know how to live. That's... I guess that's kind of superficial because everybody in here believes that. But even though I think we believe it, and, you know, a Sunday night like this, I know we'd probably be in maybe 100% agreement on that, that the Word of God is going to help me know how to make decisions, you know, it's going to help me make the right ones. But there's a difference between knowing something and then doing it, you know. There's a difference between believing something and then letting that belief permeate your life and influence how you live. When I was reading on this psalm, this part of the psalm, and uh, J. Ligon Duncan is his name, he uh he connected this with Romans 12, 1, and 2 and and made a point here, which I think is, is a pretty good one. We may have talked about this before, but I want to share with you a thought here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Here's the, here's the point. Here's the gist of this. How, how does how do you how do you know better what the Word of God means or what the will of God is? How do, you, how do you grow in your understanding of how God wants you to live? I guess what I'm talking about here is situations where you don't have a direct connection to a verse. I know we've talked about this in the past few months some, but I want to think about it with you a little bit more. I'm talking about some job, some situation at work or in your family or, I don't know, school, whatever. And you're trying to figure out, okay, what would, what would God have me to do? I'm in this situation, this kind of an ethical thing. Uh, I'm, I'm in this, you know, I've got this conflict with somebody at work or school. And I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what the right decision is. I really don't know how, how to go about it. So how do you wrestle with that? If you can't find a verse, if it's not a matter of, you know, tell the truth or don't, you know, don't say this. Don't, if it's not a, if it's not a, if there's not a connection to a specific verse, then how do you know what to do? And what I think is important here is what Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that might help us. Listen to this. These are probably pretty familiar to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Hear this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know how you begin to learn more about what God's will is in specific situations? You learn that, he says, by doing what you do know. So here, this is a very practical, let let me ask you to think about something. We've all struggled with this. I I don't know what the right thing is. This is ambiguous. It's not a clear, you know, go left or go right. I don't really know how to deal with this. So where is God's answer on this? I think maybe there's something to be said for this path. I'm going to try, we're going to try as a church to be obedient to the word of God in as much as we understand it. So every area of the word that I understand, I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk walk as consistently as I can in those clear connections to Scripture. So what I understand, I'm going to do. And you know what you'll find? I think this is what Paul is saying in Romans 12, too. What we'll find is that as we do that, as we walk consistently with what we do understand in Scripture, you know what God will do? He'll start to open your eyes to other parts of the Word. If we obey what we understand, we'll start to understand more. It's, it's almost like God works through our obedience to open our eyes to what he teaches us in the word. And back to that psalm where we were, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Well, how do I know that? I mean, I believe that, but that's kind of abstract. It's a light to my path, you know, a lamp to my feet. How do I, what does that mean though, practically speaking? Well, the very next verse says, okay, do this. You want to know? how to let the Word of God shine into your life, in every aspect of your life, okay, here's what you do. Do what you do understand. Just do that for now. Don't worry about all the other parts you don't understand. There's there's always going to be some of that. But right now, focus on just doing what you do know. A friend of mine gave me a little card that broke down the New Testament into 30 daily readings works out to be about 10 chapters a a day to read the new testament in a month and this is just a a kind of a personal experience that relates to what i'm reading in in the psalm and so i did that last month well february and i tried to go into it with a little bit usually when i'm reading i'm thinking about sermons or classes or something it's a it's a problem they warn us about in preaching school you got to read the bible and not think about what you're going to preach from it, you know, because you need it for yourself. So anyway, I started reading it, now, and, I, and, I, and I, just, I was just trying to ask the question, okay, forgetting about sermons, forgetting about how, hey, that'd make a good sermon, that'd make a good class, just try to, try to ask, ask this question, Lord, what will you have me to do based on what I'm reading right here um, and going through the Bible that way? And I think that was that was a kind of a helpful exercise for me. And I wonder if it might be for you as well. Try not to get bogged down in the parts you don't understand, and there will be a lot. And if you do that, if you if you if you start, you know, if you stop at a verse like, "I don't understand that, Lord. Why don't, I don't understand. Bible's so confusing." And I'm just gonna just gonna. don't do that. Just read, just read. Ask God to ask God to help you read, to help you understand. Ask him to help you apply it. God works through his word. The Holy Spirit works through his word. And sometimes we get frustrated because of all the you know the esoteric stuff we don't we don't get. Instead of just letting it letting it speak to us. You know. So I'd I'd urge you, I think what he's saying here is to do something like that. It's a lamp, it's a light. How do I do that? Well, I obey what I understand. And God's gonna work through that. And he's gonna he's gonna increase my understanding of it. I think that's what he's saying in those two those two verses. So your word is a lamp, a light, I understand that because I, I, I'm committed to doing what it, what it says. There's a difference between knowing and doing. I mean, you know that. In many ways, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is talking about a whole lot of things, but especially in chapter 5 where he talks about, you have heard that it was said by those of old time, you know, you shall not kill. But I say to you, don't get angry with your brother. Remember that? Or uh, the law says you, know, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't lust. Don't look at a woman to lust after her, you know, these, these texts. Um, someone was suggesting, I think this is right, that the Sermon on the Mount in many ways is a correction to what Jesus saw in his world where a lot of people knew what the law said, they knew what the Ten Commandments were, but they weren't really practicing them. They were finding these ways to get around them. Yeah, I know it says don't kill, but. I know it says don't commit adultery, but. I know it says, but. All these kind of workarounds. And Jesus says, just do it. Here's, the, the word is not that hard to understand what God wants us to understand. Just do what you, just do what it says. You know, just just obey it, and God will help. He, he will work with us. So it's a lamp to our feet. Look at, look at the next one, though. We'll move through these others more quickly than that. But verse 107, so we're talking about the centrality of Scripture. Verse 107 says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. So when, when we're going through hard times, so it's, it's central. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm committed to obey it in every situation. Specifically, he says, the next verse, okay, that applies to when I'm in, when I'm in trouble. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O oh Lord, according to your word. I think what he's saying here is I'm going through hard times and instead of finding some sort of non-spiritual answer, instead of seeking, you know, whatever whatever um, secular source or, or or whatever, I don't know, whatever worldly wisdom there might might be out here to help me deal with this problem I'm in, the first step I'm going to take is I'm going to seek the counsel of God. It doesn't mean secular counseling isn't, Helpful, it doesn't mean there aren't answers out there in the collective knowledge of the world. But what he's saying here is when I'm afflicted, I'm first gonna say, Lord, you teach me from your word. So that's gonna be my starting place. Doesn't mean God hasn't revealed himself in other ways, but I'm gonna start with the word. So when I'm afflicted, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Give me answers. Help me, save me through the word. That's where I'm gonna go first. Verse 108, in times of worship, so, in times of affliction, verse 107, in times of worship, verse 108, accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. There's a connection between worship and understanding the word. In worship, in the very act of worship, we learn what the Bible says. This is a pretty interesting thing here that he says. Um, First of all, he says, accept my free will offering to praise. This worship is something that we do because we want to do it, not because we have to do it. But he says, in that act of worship, Lord, you teach me your rules. Every part of our worship flows out of the the word of God. We don't need to de-emphasize scripture in worship. We need to tie it back to scripture, and we do that here, I think, with our singing. In, In many ways, our singing is a reflection of the psalms and hymns that we have in scripture, you know. Our biblical principles. In communion, we read from the Word of God together before we take communion. In the sermon, certainly is taken from the Scripture and so on. And we we learn that in worship, you're, we draw we come back to the Word. We need to have the public. That's why we start out worship on Sunday morning with a public reading of Scripture because we want to remember this is what we're about. We are a people of the Book. We are we are people who whose worship and whose lives flow out of our commitment to the Word of God. So he says, we worship God freely, and through the act of worship, God teaches us our rules. A lot of reasons you ought to come to church and worship. You know, a lot of reasons. One of them is because God teaches you the Word through worship, not just through the preaching. He teaches you the Word through your singing, and through the prayers, and through communion, and through giving. God works through the elements of worship to open up our eyes to greater insight into Scripture. So I think that's what he's saying here. Verse 109, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. In other words, my, my life is in danger Verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. So notice how he's saying the centrality of Scripture, it's a lamp, it's a light. I'm going to commit myself to do it no matter what. I'm going to do it when it's a matter of reflection. I'm going to learn it through Scripture. I'm going to learn it when my life is on the line, when people are trying to ensnare me, when, when enemies are persecuting me. I'm going I'm to turn to Scripture during those times. People are going to put... put you know uh, obstacles in my path, and when those obstacles come, I'm going to open up Scripture. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the Word. I do not stray from Your precepts. I do not choose the easy path over the way of the Word. Verse one eleven. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So, just again, the centrality here. It's every, it's worship, it's affliction, it's, it's persecution. It's, it's in every aspect of my life. It brings me joy. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I, I get, we get, as Christians, we get great joy from what God promises us. There's, there's a, in the last two verses of the stanza, he turns his attention to the future. And, and he says here, you know, what the word of God promises me, that's my heritage, that's my inheritance. I hang my hat on that. I, my future is embedded in what the word says. It's not in the 401k, it's not in the nest egg, it's not in the... The Pension, you know it 's in the promises of the Word your Your Word is a heritage, your testimonies, what you 've promised you 're going to work in my future. They are the joy of my heart it 's because of what God does for us that brings us joy. Then the last verse in the stanza, again, very much of a focus, it kind of wraps this up neatly. He said in verse one hundred five it's it 's a lamp it 's a light, and then at the end of this, he says, "I incline my heart." to perform your statutes forever to the end no matter what the word of god is going to be central to our relationship to him so he, you know it comes back i think to the to way this, to the way the psalm started when he says it's going to be a lamp it's going to be a light it's, I'm going to learn it by doing it. I'm going to do it when I'm afflicted. I'm going to learn it through worship. I'm going to do it when people make my life difficult. I'm going to find my joy and my pleasure and my, my very reason for being in the promises of Scripture. And because of that, because we believe all of this as Christians, as believers, as God's children, we incline our hearts to perform your statutes forever to the end because it is there in the Word where our heritage is found, where God blesses us. And so our, com- our confession as a church is we're going to be obedient to your word. We're going to do what you've told us to do. So a couple of practical things will be done. Go back to where we started. How's your, how's your word life? How's your commitment to scripture? Um, if it's not good... This really ought to be something like breathing for us as Christians. It ought to be something like breathing. It ought to be something we, we don't go through a day without. Um, it, it ought to be something like, I mean, just, just what, what do we do every day? We, we breathe, we eat, we drink, and we read Scripture. That's what we do as God's people. We are Scripture people. We read it, we think about it. We meditate on it. We pray it. We confess it. And that's what we do. It's, it's God's people are people of the book. And so if your, if your relationship to the Word isn't what it ought to be, then I would urge you just to recommit yourself to that and, and realize that you don't need to go through a day in this world, whether it's a good day or a bad day or whatever, without living and breathing and eating and drawing nourishment from sweet words of God through scripture. That's the challenge for us as believers is just to not step away from that. I know it's busy and it's uh, it's a trap. I'm guessing, I'm guessing all of us have fallen into it at one time or another um, because it's easy to put off. Well, I don't have time right now. I'm not very focused right now. Um, I'll, I'll do it later, you know, and then later comes and you're tired and stressed and can't stay awake or whatever. I'll do it tomorrow and then just the days go by and before you know, a month's gone by and you really haven't had any private time with the Word of God. And that's difficult for us to face this world with that kind of inattention to Scripture. You know? That's what Psalm 19 is telling us. If you're not a Christian tonight, one of the reasons we assemble uh, is to give you an opportunity, to give someone an opportunity to confess his or her faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son to receive the free gift of salvation. God wants to save each one of us. And he wants to bring us into his family. And uh, if you're ready to make that confession that you believe in Jesus Christ, we will baptize you as a public expression of your identification with Jesus as God's son. And we would be thrilled to do that tonight. Maybe you need to come back to him because your life has not been one that's reflected a, a passion for him, a passion for his word and for his, for his ways. We invite you to come back to him. And, uh, and just just walk with him. Let's let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.